Welcome to 20th Century Geek. Do you believe in me? He said. She nodded minutely. How can I not? She said. Then why do you want to live? She didn't understand and was afraid her ignorance would prove fatal. So she said nothing. If you would learn, the fiend said, just a little from me. You would not beg to live. His voice had dropped to a whisper. I am rumour. He sang in her ear. It's a blessed condition, believe me, to live in people's dreams, to be whispered at street corners, but not have to be. Do you understand? Her weary body understood. Her nerves, tired of jangling, understood. The sweetness he offered was life without living, was to be dead, but remembered everywhere, immortal, in gossip, and graffiti. Be my victim, he said. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and Happy Halloween! Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it is indeed Happy Halloween time. The kids are out trick-or-treating, and probably quite a few adults as well. So, if you're enjoying Halloween, let's get into the ghouls and the ghosts, and let's talk some horror. We've had some, some interesting things this, this month. I had uh, Brian Bryn Hammond come on to talk about werewolves and the complete history of the howling. Uh, go check that out. And then in the last episode, we talked about the weird. Uh, we talked about a show in particular when I spoke with uh, Justin Schenkero about his starring role and his time on Eerie, Indiana. So both great times. So this is Halloween. This is proper. This is a full-fledged kind of thing. So what do we want to talk about? Well, let's talk horror movies. I started watching films. I read the Candyman uh, original novel, The Forbidden by Clive Barker, and I went and watched the film, to be honest, simply because I'm getting the Arrow, or I have now, the Arrow uh, Blu-ray Special Edition, Collector's Edition release. Very exciting. But I couldn't wait, because I love the film, so I watched it beforehand as well. And it got me to thinking, we talk about modern myth at the moment, and we talk a lot about superheroes influencing that modern myth. Well, that's all like big god-type stuff, morality tales. But what about the darker areas of modern myth? Modern folklore, those bits and pieces that you know exist in the dark, in the shadows, the Bloody Mary tales, or uh, even Ringyu, all these sort of the Japanese ideas, or the Western ideas of what are ghosts and demons. All of this coming from horror films is clearly influencing modern pop culture. But why is that? How is that? And when did it start? Well, I got in contact with a friend of the show, Kevin Thurman, and we discussed this at great length to talk about Candyman, the film, and then using that as a springboard to talk more about horror and horror's influence on modern uh, dark mythos and folklore. So grab your cocoa and your trick-or-treat candy, sit back and relax as we take you on a little journey through horror and folklore.
So, uh, so Kevin, Kevin Thurman, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, as I say, open doors. Um, introduce yourself to the listeners and uh, tell them a little about yourself. Hi, uh, my name is Kevin Thurman. Um, I'm a philosophy graduate, uh, currently living in Illinois, and uh, a writer based out of there. Uh, well, I should say sometimes writer. Um, I procrastinate more than I want to. And uh, I just generally have a pretty wide curiosity on a wide background of all kinds of subjects, including things like, you know, uh, like what we're going to talk about today, which, you know, uh, urban legends and horror and all that. Um, I think myths are so important to who we are as people and how we grow our culture and society. So it's it's definitely a very important subject. Yeah, I'll say it's something I've I've been finding more and more interesting lately. Um, so yeah, so just to, for the listeners' sake, it's uh, the, the, what we're going to be talking about is is as Kevin says, is mythology. This idea at the moment, I hear a lot about you know, these modern superhero films and obviously with the comics, it's, they are creating the modern myth. Um, and obviously they're talking on that sort of like Greek god kind of um, pantheon of gods kind of scale. But I'm, I'm the more I saw of uh, like Halloween 2018 coming out and the hype it got and the attention and this idea of Michael Myers and the unkillable uh, horror icon the more I thought about how there's a blur now between the mythology and folklore that we have and horror icons. Um, so that's really, and it was really Candyman as well that got me started on this. So just if you want to give your initial thoughts then, Kevin, what are your, what are your thoughts on this sort of subject? Yeah. Am I miles yeah, off? Or? And, and, no, and Candyman's such a, a very interesting film. I mean... It's very odd, I think, in the place of horror movies go because, one, it takes place in Cabrini Green, Chicago, which is, you know, a uh, it's the projects of Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's very run down. Um, it's very economically poor. Um, on top of that, you have a movie that the music was by Philip Glass mm. and things like that. So it's very odd that this is kind of this way. Um, now, what really stands out to me about Cabrini Green, obviously, is that it's mythologizing um, a lot of the pain and suffering that has gone through the African-American experience in America from slavery on up. Mm. And it's tied, you know, explicitly to that. And what I find interesting about that is, you know, especially in this day and age where, you know, there seems to be a lot of pain in our society and our culture, we really want to understand it. We really want to be able to explain it and not to leave any kind of dark spots in that, that map of who we are. Mm. So we, we kind of come up with ways to, to, like you said, you know, mythologize that and explain it. And in a lot of ways, that's more important than superheroes because, you know, superheroes are an unattainable goal. Mm. But horror is something that happens to people on a daily basis. And really something that, that, you know, especially when you're dealing with trauma and people that have PTSD and stuff like that, it's very hard to, to come to grips with that and, and, and therapize it. Um, so, yeah, that's why I was really pulled by your subject because that's so interesting. I mean, you know, I, 
even down to, you know, take Candyman, you know, like I said, okay, so that's in Cabrini Green. Like I said, what was interesting about that is that if you go through just kind of a list of other urban legends throughout America, they all tend to take place in kind of wooded, rural areas. And while they all tend to explain horror and bad things that have happened, it really is the first that explains it from an urban background. And that's really groundbreaking, I thought. Yeah, well, I don't know if you've I don't know if you've read like the original uh, the Clive Barker uh, short story. It's, it's, I, I have not. It's really interesting. So the, the, it's obviously Clive Barker being a Brit. Um, the story is a, is set in uh, like a council estate in the in the in the eight well, in the early eighties uh, in Liverpool. So it's almost like it's, oh. it's, it's the idea is actually so that's actually more about. Uh, it's more of a representation of the working class and the, and that sort of downtroddenness during Thatcher's Britain, um, and takes it from a different angle. It's it's, it's very much uh, it's there, the same that that's as you say that sort of downtroddenness. So in in the British or the Clive Barker version, it's around that sort of thing, the working class. Um, but when it was taken and uh, and obviously uh, for want of a better phrase, Americanized. Um, they did. They, they they latch onto the idea of the the legacy and the history of the sort of the African Americans, especially in that ghetto environment, and I think they actually crystallise it to to give it a. The story's good, but the film is brilliant. Do you know, do you know what I mean? They, yes. they they elevate the story and actually focus it and crystallise it into an idea that is truly, um, terrifying. You know, I think it's really Absolutely. good. I mean, the the visuals alone and 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 Candyman are are you know horrific but they're also moody and you know just carry that idea of, of myth making throughout the film even now even you know uh, obviously i hope the the listeners have seen the movie because i don't want to ruin the movie but i suppose they did put spoilers abroad um but you know even down to the end when ultimately you see you know, Helen, who is, you know, supposed to be this heroine, and at the end, she becomes an urban legend herself because, mm. you know, she was, you know, tortured and killed by Candyman herself throughout the movie. Yeah, and I'm not, uh, I mean, the, the concept I like the most is in this film is uh, there's a moment when Candyman is calling to, um, to, to Helen and he sort of explains it. He says, like, you know, be mine, be with me, we can be immortal. Um, yes. You know, we'll be the writing on the wall. We'll be the rumors on the street. It's this idea that in, this is the first time watching it this time that I was. I, all these times in the past, I've always taken it as it's. I mean, people call it a slasher film. It's not a slasher film, and and Candyman yep. is not a slasher icon. He's not there with Freddie and Jason and Michael and all those. He is. It's, it, it, I've always taken it almost as a ghost story. Yes, and that, exactly. that he he was the son of a slave that was tortured and killed, falling in love with a white woman, and you know that on the on the ground that that Cabrini Green was was raised. But this was the first time that as I watched it, it sort of it struck me that, that is that true? Is he actually the ghost of of uh, I can't remember the, the the character's name, but is he the is he the ghost of this sort of the you know murdered person or? This time I was like, is he actually just that sort of an entity that has been brought together by all that pain and all that suffering and all that oppression and, and segregation and has been given form and is actually surviving off this legend of 
um, you know, the candy man. And so the only way he survives is this idea of like, if people fear him and talk about him, so he's got to keep every now and then when someone doubts him or, you know, if he gets the attention, he'll raise that profile. So the people will talk about him just so he, you know, to be an entity of, um, existence. Sure. Cause, um, with, you know, there's definitely that scene early in the movie when Helen goes to Cabrini Green and, you know, do research on Candyman. And she's attacked by that gang leader who has a hook and he's, mm. he's made himself Candyman, even though he's not, to, you know, make himself more notable on the streets. And that really, once again, speaks to that myth-making that this is an important figure to that area, and it not only speaks to people, but it kind of explains something. You know, um, there's a, um, I, I don't know if you listen to hip-hop much. But uh, bits and pieces. A, uh, yeah, there's a rapper, Kendrick Lamar, and uh, he has a song called Element, and on it, one of the lines is, let me see if I can get this right, um, just say his name and I promise that you'll see Candyman. Mm. Now, what's, what's interesting about this line and this song is that this whole song is about the violence in the streets, the violence he can't escape by being raised in the streets of Compton. And while that's not Cabrini Green, it's just as bad. Yeah. It's just as violent. It's just as dangerous. So in a way he's he's saying I have to assume this 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 figure, I have to assume assume this this uh, myth and become it as well. Mm. Just to survive. And I, I yeah, I think that's very interesting, especially when you're talking about is Candyman really the reincarnation of this figure or is he just a corporation of all these this pain and suffering and everything made real for a moment just to I, I don't know almost take care of unfinished business or something you know to well that's the thing I mean, cause one, yeah I mean because one of the right. things that comes through in both the story and um you know, both the story and the film, actually, which is one of the reasons it sort of struck me. So, is if he had been this this murdered, it's the, you know, if it was the ghost of this murdered um, son of a slave, and you know, this he was an artist, and it was for whatever purpose. Why is he still killing, you know, the, these these oppressed people? Which you know, not to want for one of the best phrase, his own people. And it's just, it's the same in the book. It's like you know they keep talking about him as if it's a local maniac, and even in the actual story, they say the, the the character of Helen actually says, "But I don't know why he's killing his own. Like, why would you kill the people in your own own estate? You know, what's the purpose? And the purpose is actually if, if is it to generate the fear? And as you said, like the gang member that actually uses the uh, um, right. to to do that. Um, it, yeah, I think it's, it's fascinating, and I say like she, you know, and Helen becomes that that the urban myth and becomes a part of the graffiti and the writing on the wall at the end. Right. Um, and what's you know uh, to kind of go back to what you're saying, you know, I, I think that something about the pain, and suffering that that people have gone through is that it makes them lonely. It makes them ostracized from other people, which can lead to. Um, you know, cynicism, anger, rage, hate towards even those that are supposed to be your own people. 
um, it's almost like you should have been there to help me. You should have, somebody should have been there to help me. So since you weren't, I will now seek revenge in this form. Mm. And I guess, you know, in that way, it kind of becomes a little bit of uh, ethical tell, you know, of maybe we should treat people better because, you know, maybe we're causing all this pain and suffering by letting people suffer alone and go through these traumas alone. And, you know, if we only reached out more, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, that's it. Like I say, if there had been more of a sense of community and positivity and, right. and, and you know, the sort of society, that it doesn't give Candyman anything to to live off, right, to thrive off. Right. Um, it, it maybe, I mean, the thing that's sort of uh, interesting about this is that you know the character of Candyman in itself is a um, a somewhat an amalgamation of other urban legends, um, you know the Bloody Mary um, urban legend and, and the the Hook Handed Man, which are both very um, I'd say a very American sort of urban legends. You know, if you say Bloody Mary, is it three times or five times? And obviously the it's one three that, times. Yeah, and then the Hook Handed Man. You know, that kills the boyfriend and leaves the hook, or he's a big scratch on the car, sort of thing. So, right. it's interesting that obviously it's Candyman, the character as well, is all you know is also taken from other urban legends to create this new, again, like more of a focused figure. Which is, you know, that that's so American too. I mean, because America is such a hodgepodge of other cultures and. Uh, you know, ethnicities and everything that make us who we are, that make us the country that we are, that uh, I think, of course, our myths would be one of incorporating other things. I mean, I was looking at a list of other, you know, kind of um, regional urban legends around the United States alone, and, uh, you know, I came upon one that I remember very well, which is... uh, in Arizona, you know, you have the Skinwalkers, which mm. are supposedly these, you know, Native American uh, kind of witches that can shape change, but they have to, you know, basically flay the skin of other people and, and to, to, to be able to do that. And, you know, once again, that's going to, that's speaking to, you know, the pain and suffering of this group of people and how, you know, how they must feel, mm. you know, to fit into a greater society that's taken over their land. You know, it's literally like ripping flesh off their bones in a way. And that's horrifying, as a horrifying image, of course. But makes sense you know to be once again ostracized in your own home like, yeah I, I mean that's just well that's the awful. thing and again it's sort of like you say they always come from somewhere I had a look at it's funny you say about looking at these urban legends because one of the things I did I had, I had a look at urban modern urban legends um, mm-hmm. around the world and sort of the ones that have grown up really in the last sort of well, more in my lifetime so the last 30 to 40 years and uh, one of the things I sort of found is, is actually like America has got America and Japan have actually got some of the the biggest growth of these things these legends that have come about uh, it, yeah. it's, it's usually from societies that have had the you know the most either social upheaval or the most economic growth and all that kind of thing so 
Britain's barely had any. You know, we, we're very much still stuck in the old world of... Uh, there's still talk of vampires, and we do get that sort of, like, you know, when it comes to sh- shape-changing, it's not really shape-changes, it is werewolves, or it is... Do you know what I mean? It's old... We, right. we, we've still got that oldie-worldy view. Sure. Um, but those Americanisms in the Japan have, have still have, have gained that... Um, new form, new ghost. I mean, it's, it's a twist on a. It's usually a twist on a theme, but it's it's you know, there's a there's a a modern take on it. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, and that that's you know uh, kind of a good segue into you know uh, I think especially in America, you know, the internet has given rise to even its own. Like I think most people know about the Slender Man and yes, and things like that. Um, that's all internet based myth making and while slender man is definitely not from any kind of pain suffering vortex is still based on this idea of what's horrific to us mm. and it's this person that's kind of disembodied looking kind of grotesque you know the opposite of what the american ideal is and can torture kids and adults and 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 horrify them. Well, I think the horrifying. I think. Well, I think that the the one thing, and again, that one of the ones that came up again when I looked at it was, I mean, Slenderman came up as in the top three, really, yeah. of modern myths. And I think the reason for that is is because it actually has the 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 the, the myth. I mean, it came from a um, like a creepy pasta kind of competition of like literally create create a myth. The idea yeah. was to create yeah. a myth. And I forget the guy's name, but he, he he put a photo together of this character, you know, with kids in the woods, and another one was as this character sort of hidden at a school and this other things, and it was, it grew and grew until it it actually is now linked to a, a, an actual crime. Right. So you know you now have this internet meme that was created that's actually now got a physical consequence. And so, you know, it solidifies it as an iconic myth, doesn't it, I suppose? It becomes a, re- a true fear. Well, with that, and that gives away into ideas of how much faith and stock do we put in these myths. You know, we're, as human beings, we are so story-driven. Mm. And that's so important. I mean, even back to early cartography days where we thought there were leviathans in the oceans that we hadn't seen and there were monsters over in the dark corners that we weren't, we hadn't been to yet, but we knew that they were there. Um, and it's all a way to explain things, you know, most likely the, these young women that committed this murder of the 12 year old because of slender man, you know, obviously there's some sort of mental illness going on there, mm. but it's easier for all of us. If we just, kind of deflated down to well they believed in slender man yeah well yeah they did and that's a direct consequence but there's obviously more going on there and you know but that's what's so powerful about these these urban myths these this folklore um is that it, it can it can cause so much in people. Well, that's it. And when I dug back, I mean, the other one, I'll mention another one in a moment that, that fascinated me as a modern one, but one of the ones that, that, that sort of, um, as you go backwards, really, uh, one of the ones that sort of, I li- that sort of sl- slightly links, I suppose, to Slenderman is this idea of the changeling. 
and this idea yeah. it comes from sort of like uh, sort of Celtic, uh, predominantly Irish, Welsh, and sort of Scottish myth is this idea of sort of like you know these changing these these elfin goblin type creatures that will take your children and replace it you know with it with it with a changeling and that it was that again it's that thing of how to explain okay my child isn't responding to um you know stimulus my child isn't growing properly it's weak it's sickly it's whatever okay it's not my child i haven't failed as a parent it's a, a supernatural being has come along um and changed my child um and the that one of the what one of the things I saw for that is the response to that was, you know, if, if, if it was true and if the local, I don't want to say wise man or whatever sort of, um, you know, elders agreed with you that it was the case, you would take that child to the woods and leave it there. Right. And that, How bizarre is that of an answer? And that's it. I say, that's horrific. You know, that you think... Yes. To, to a modern parent or a modern, to a modern, you know, anyone... Monsanto to think, oh yeah, yeah I'll, I'll happily leave that child in the woods to die, you know. In, but oh no, it's not a child; it's a changeling. It, it's it's a bizarre, right? Um, like you just say, because it's not my child, like you said. Yeah, and that you know, even that you know, even in modern day society, I mean, we have things like um, von Munchausen's by proxy, mm. which. You know, mothers will see illnesses that don't exist in their children to explain things or to explain deficiencies in themselves somehow and start medicating them heavily, even to the point of death. And that's not a that's not obviously an urban legend, but you know, it does speak to that that need to explain to mm. just create a story that makes sense in our heads that otherwise wouldn't exist because we just can't live with ambiguity i think and that's the thing i think like you say when there's when there's, when there's something in the darkness that we can't explain we, we put something there and we do we look back at um you know these these older social groupings like you say the celts or uh, and this goes back even to the Victorians. You look back at the Victorians and you go, oh, how ignorant they were, how silly they were for believing some of these things or for doing some of these things. But then, as you say, we'll, we'll quickly jump to the notion that, oh, no, these girls, they actually, they believed in a slender man. Or you know, there are people that, like you say, it sounds daft. We still have that superstition that if you were yeah. to say Bloody Mary three times into the, into the, you know, into the mirror... I'm I'm pretty sure you know eight out of ten people would still have a bit of a palpitation at that last moment because there was there was a legit fear that something might happen. Absolutely, especially because you're standing in the dark. I mm. mean, that's the ultimate representation of all of this is you're in the dark mm. saying this saying whatever it is, and you know there's that that there's there's just something in us that goes well what if. Yes. And even if we think it's complete lunacy, we still go, well, maybe. And then we go, we, we might laugh or we might, you know, turn on the light and go, oh, okay, obviously nothing happened. This isn't real. But but there is something that speaks to that moment in us where we just go, mm, well. what if? <laughs> yeah. Is that what is exactly. Well, the, what, the one, the other, the other urban legend that I'll, I'll um, I'll throw it as, a, as a, a modern urban legend that, that I find interesting and a little bit baffling is black-eyed kids. Yes. 
Um, and this is one that sort of grew out of... Uh, so it can actually be traced back to Texas in, I think, 1995 or 1996, is a case of... So that's the first reported sighting of black-eyed kids. The first reported sighting, so, you know, whatever happened before. Yes. And then it's grown into this sort of epidemic uh, of, of, of sightings. Like, it literally sprang out of... of the... Um, it is literally sort of, you know, it's it's um, to the extent of like this, it's been on true life paranormal things. It's been on this thing. There are films about it. There are writings about it, and it is very much a modern myth of this idea that there are these creatures, whatever they are, that they will come to your front door, or if you're parked somewhere secluded, they will come to your car, and they will ask for assistance. And if you give them assistance, it's that giving permission. For them to do something to you, and it's it's a it's a fascinating concept. But again, I don't know where what, where it comes from. This is one that I sort of found really interesting. Yeah, I actually, you know, I lived kind of next to Chicago in a suburb for a while, and there was one particular street, often more of the rural area, that if you drove down, you crossed over this train track. You know, supposedly there you if you stopped you would find white powder on top of your hood and children's handprints all over it. Mm. And if you looked around you would see one of these, you know, black eyed kids standing there and, you know, they would accost you or, or do whatever to you. And um, you know, I mean me and my, my ex wife at the time, you know, we we drove Oh, through that road several times just to, you know, we, we knew it was silly, but we just, you know, we thought it would be fun to just check it out and see what mm. happened. <laughs> and I remember the first time, you know, we were both kind of like, we're both very skeptical people. Um, we're very pragmatic, but there was definitely a moment where we just kind of like, because it was dead of night and we're just driving past it and going over this railroad track and we both just kind of looked at each other like, this is silly, right? Yeah, this is silly, right? Right? Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, even that, you know, which once again, you know, what's interesting there about though that phenomenon is it's like in horror movies when, you know, there's a spooky scene and little kids are singing or little kids are talking mm-hmm. and it's this idea of how something's so innocent can be very creepy and that's very interesting as well i think well do because well, i've spoken to a few friends about this and sort of because I, I do find the idea of black eyed kids um I, I, where it came from and what, what it means has always been you know it's just fascinating because it's because it's kids it's this idea it's not a monster right. it's not a monster it's not you know something that's got like a legacy or a history like you know the cock handed man of that and a friend of mine says um just out of nowhere, he says, oh, well, you know, is it is this actually a representation of one generation's fear of the other? You know, is this actually a fear of getting old? Oh. Is this actually... Oh, a... that's so fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I think that's hidden, hidden on the head. So it's this idea, yeah. and he, the way he formalised it was, you know, think about it this way, that these kids are... We keep talking about what what are our kids going to be? What are we doing to our children with all the, you know, the way society is today? Are we basically messing up these kids for the future? And giving them permission Absolutely. to be to be that, yeah, that that, See, that sort of that sort it, of formalise it for it, me. And once again, it's formalising that 
You know, that's so brilliant. Um, it's really formalizing that fear and that mystery we have about, you know, the other, about others and things that aren't us. And that's very scary to us. You know, I, I mean, to go back to Candyman, I mean, you know, he's a African-American artist that was in love with a white woman. Mm was lynched and killed and comes back as this, you know, uh, paranormal figure that haunts and kills people. And, you know, that that totally speaks to that idea of the other, of, of people beyond who we are and things beyond our understanding. You know, especially at that time, it was completely forbidden that, you know, there was any kind of, you know, uh, uh, interracial dating. You know, that's, that was that was seen as a, a terrible thing. And obviously that's stupid and idiotic, uh, you know. But at the time, you know, these people were rather dumb so of course you know uh, they had dumb beliefs and you know but that that helps explain that you know it's that, a, yeah again it's, there's almost in, in a character like Candyman and that sort of thing especially in this, this you know when you say when you give him the history and legacy there's that element of uh, guilt you know it's that it's that um, not just uh, again 20 want of a better phrase but that white guilt you know that sort of like Absolutely. Uh, of the oppression and that sort of thing, and this character is that thing of, um, as you said before, why were you why were you not there to protect me and, and represent my my people or my you know we we weren't there right. as a society, um, and I, I think that's a really interesting uh, sort of concept idea for it. So yeah, you know, to to speak to that, you know, it's like um, that like you said that white that that white guilt is something that I think. Goes throughout a lot of our society, and I honestly, I would say as it should. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of people don't know how to deal with that, or how to explain it, or I don't even think they understand it, and that gives rise to confusion and cynicism, anger. You know, once again, we're talking about all these things that go into these urban myths that create them, you know? They're, it's, in a way, it's kind of uh, dumping these negative emotions into something, pouring them into these, these myths in a way that kind of maybe helps kind of thieve off that, that cultural pressure, that societal pressure that we feel about these things that we're, we're experiencing and going through and feeling. Yeah, I think you're right. Because I think a big part, when you look at like the why, why things were created in the past, it was more of a physical explanation. So, um, right. you know, I, there was a certain illness striking the village or the cattle or the, you know, the livestock or whatever. Okay, well, we can't explain it through you know our knowledge of disease and illness so it must be supernatural or what's happening okay well they're you know they're wasting away so it must be a vampire or you know we can't explain something else so maybe it's a witch maybe it's this maybe it was always a physical 
there was a need to explain a physical change or a physical impact. Well, I mean, even go back as far as, you know, what it must have been like to be the first people with conscious thought to hear thunder and see lightning mm. and not know how to explain that or to experience an earthquake. I mean, of course, you know, someone came along and had to go, oh, the gods are angry with us. Exactly, what, yeah. What What gods? Yeah. And, you know... And, and, you know, that's kind of the beginning of urban legends. It's this way of explaining these parent, these supposed paranormal things and experiences that people have. And I think that's it. Um, we've, we've moved from a physical yeah. explanation or having to explain physical, environmental or, um, you know, psychological, to actually explaining sociological and psychological things. You know, we've put the, right. the fear has shifted to you know that thing of sort of racial tensions or um generational tensions or you know, like you said those things and that's sort of those urban legends now go towards those rather than um you know werewolves or vampires or mon- sea right. monsters out at sea because in a way i think it kind of helps placate responsibility Mm. in a society or a culture I mean I think that's why especially in America you know there are look at conspiracy theories Mm. conspiracy theories are I I believe a type of urban legend because they're Mm. not based in reality they're not based in truth but they do help explain they do give a storytelling element to these horrible things that happen because if things like 9-11 are just, let's say 9-11 in truth and, veri- and, and it can be verified that it's just, you know, it was a lot of shitty bureaucracy, a lot of dumb people in charge not paying attention. Um, that's less sexy than, well, it was an inside job. It was a false flag operation. Mm-hmm. It happened because of the lizard people that come here from Mars and have taken <laughs> on the forms of Hillary Clinton and people. You know, that's so much more interesting than to talk about bureaucracy and the failures of it, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's to create that sort of um, the unknown them. That That's the idea like, of the... There's these things, these beings, or this group, this sort of... Um, and like I say, it could be an individual, you know, the centre of an urban legend or a myth, but it could also be a shady government body, the men in black right. that are doing these things to sort of prevent us from doing it, you know, from uh, right. being in control of our society. I don't want to say that I drank too much last night and blacked out all night and don't remember it, so I had a dream about aliens, therefore I was taken by aliens, you know, yeah. or... Something like that, you know. It's but it's funny to say that when when you start to look at, um, like you said, you know, I said about the other urban legends and stuff that sort of come up and what they're related to. So uh, yes, when you look at the sort of the Japanese legends and stuff, the more urban legends, they're they're, they all they all have a consequence. You know, there's there's actually these urban legends are um, lulling men into a sort of a scenario or. Uh, some sort of vengeful spirit. That, you know, it's that thing again of of um, whether it be gender or generational uh, 
aggression and and anger and frustration. I think really. Um, uh-huh. uh, I'm trying to think of anything in particular, but there's some where, again where like men yeah. get lulled into something and they you know they you know sort of a you know. A, a, there's an attractive, sexy woman. She tracks, she tracks them down. She reveals her face, and it's you know hideously scarred. And then she sort of she All mutilates right. them, that sort of thing. And it's that thing again of in in this Me Too environment that's clearly existed a little bit in Japan for you know as a male uh, dominated patriarchy society. It's you know there's there's that sort of thing there as well of this gender um, frustration. And what's interesting about that, I mean, especially when you look at things like, I mean, Japan's the only place that atomic bombs have ever been dropped on. Mm. That creates a schism in your culture and society that can't easily be rectified. Mm. That changes things on, on a fundamental level. And I'm not surprised by that because while they're a highly patriarchal society, there, you know, there's little subsects of the culture inside that, you know, like the, oh, I can't remember the name of it, but the motorcycle kids that ride bikes throughout the city all night. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a big culture, and, um, you know, part of that is, you know, trying to deviate from this because we've been scarred, we've... We, we, it was only a few generations back. We've seen the damage. We can go to these sites and see the, the, the horrors and things that have happened. So this is how we're dealing with it. We're creating our own culture. We're creating our own hmm. ideas about how we should, how we should be. Yeah, exactly. I think that's it. It's it, like I say, it's, it's, they seem to, it seems like they're springing up when there's, like I say, these periods of transition or these periods of upheaval. Um, to explain things, um, I mean, I read recent. Right. I read recently about um, following um, the nuclear disaster in in Japan that also uh-huh. obviously suffered by the the tsunami. Um, for a long time after, um, there was the, there were stories. There was constant stories of people seeing the ghosts of people killed during the you know during the tsunami. Um, relatives would come home soaking wet or. Um, you know, they'd, they'd walk down the street, and you'd see a couple walking down the street, or people walking down the street, and they'd be soaking wet, or they'd be dishevelled, or whatever. And you know, in in Western culture, we speak very much of the you know the astral figure, the, the sort of the real creepy ghost. You know, you can see through it. Um, right. But in in Japanese culture, they're very solid and they're very sort of uh, tangible. And the idea for these characters is, you know, yeah, they they suffered a death and they're looking for something, um, and you get, you know, a lot of the stories of like a taxi pulling over to pick up a um, a, a passenger, and then you know, either they don't get in or when they do get in, they disappear and all these sorts of things, and there was this constant uh, myth around this event of the, you know, the the, the spirits, the the unquiet spirits of these people killed with it were still, you know, were still in the area or even beyond it. Like this wasn't like a localized thing. They would appear at relatives' homes on the, you know, on the other island and that sort of thing. Oh, that's <laughs> so interesting, you know, because it's so different from how we see ghosts in America, which is, you know, obviously the phantasmal, ethereal figure that you can see through and everything, and, you know. 
what's interesting about that is, you know, like I said, you know, go back to the, the, the A-bombs being dropped on Japan where we literally obliterated people from existence. Mm-hmm. So their ghosts, you know, are portrayed as being very corporeal, you know, whereas in America, you know, we're so tied to the the corporality of things that we see ourselves as becoming ethereal and just kind of becoming like air and dust and or fog. Yeah. So once again, you know, it, it's going back to that. How do we explain things in a way that that maybe suffices some need in us beyond just stories and myths? You know, there. I, I do believe that there is such thing as cultural and societal pressure that builds up in people. Mm. And it, it has to be let off in some way every once in a while. Or, you know, it. I, I think it leads to madness in a way, you know. Yeah, and I, so, I think you're right. I think, you know, we, we, we look for something to explain things, as we say. And <clears throat> when, when you look at all these, these sort of, you know... Um, myths that have brought up and how localized was as well that some of they always get linked to something that there's an event and you know like you say i I, i'm curious to see how these will develop in this you know as we go through um this you know more right versus left environment right and how how will that manifest in in the next batch of urban myths and that sort of thing um Right. I mean, because like even in America recently, you know, we just a few days ago, we had the, that spate of bombings, mm. bombs being sent to people on the left from people from a guy that was very right centered and very Trumpian and um, very pro Trump. And, um, you know, you, you could feel it in the air sometimes when people would talk about it, that there is just this this electricity of stress and anxiety mm. and how, you know, and even that, that, that alone, that gives way into, well, I will explain this category of people as this way because it allows me to understand them and to think about them in such a way that I don't need to spend all day trying to figure it out. Yeah. When in truth, some people are messed up and some people aren't and and sometimes that's a roll of the dice and sometimes that's just cultural upbringing you know it it's there's too many people to be able to come to one solid consensus about how people are so we have to make a myth we have to make up urban legends and that's it that's what i'm interested to see so you know as we get more uh, identifiable social groups whether it be by race gender and you know they all sure love to live together but by you know you say you get race gender um sexuality whatever it is you know you you can each one grows its own mythos and its own sort of like uh, urban legends that go with it as well that sort of thing um yes and again you know one of the things i found interesting going back to look at the, these past things and ghosts came up a yeah. lot uh, and um, we got the two that were really, like, really interesting were this idea of, as I say, with England and Britain being very much of the old school, uh, whenever you look at ghosts, it's always linked back to ancient buildings, ancient, you know, you've got like, the sto- standing uh-huh. stones, that sort of thing. And they were very, they're very atypical. It's sort of like, you know, yeah, 
there's an event that's happened there or the building's very old and that sort of thing. And then a story is usually shoehorned. Are you, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. So, yeah, so usually, like a sh- you know, then a story is usually like shoehorned in. So it could be like, you know, we have a pub and there's the ghost of some woman, the woman in white or whatever is, is, is seen. And no one knows how to explain it. It's just some sightings. And all of a sudden, there's the story of a love triangle between her and two gentlemen. And then there was a murder and blah, blah, blah. And, it, you know, there becomes this, this story that surrounds it. And that seemed to be a lot of what covered British sort of ghost stories and the legends around these things. When I got to, um, when I when I started to look at sort of like say more American um, everything, it, it became a lot more um, double-handed. There were two two sort of tales. The first one being they were a lot more religious. Um, there was yes. a lot. There was a lot. There was a stronger sort of demonic mythos uh, in America uh, around possession. But the other thing that came up as well and. It, it, I I had to chuckle because it's almost become a pastiche in, it, now that Stephen King's done it. Is the idea of the ancient Indian burial ground? Yes. And you know, if you were to follow every story that says, "Oh, well, this estate or this building was built on an ancient Indian burial ground," you'd think that these, you know, these Native Americans or you know, uh, indigenous uh, people were just burying people left, right, and centre. <laughs> And right. it's clearly not the case, but again, it's a, Which is silly. It is, and it's so. But we both, like you, as you say, you, you know, these we we are looking for. There's there's been an event. There's been some sort of circumstance, an incident, whatever it was, and we look for an explanation. And a, a story could be made up on the hoof, and it's shoehorned in, and all of a sudden it becomes canon. Mm-hmm. And people well, start I mean, quoting at, it. Yeah, look at a movie, a horror movie like Poltergeist. Mm. You know, it was. All surrounding this idea that this new home, this new family, had had a home that was built on an ancient Indian burial ground. Mm. Well, you know, obviously, why, why, you know, there's so many things that, that can you can take apart from that movie. Like, why is it only this one home? Was there no other graves on this the rest of the street? Like, obviously, people would be experiencing this, but. I mean, even that, you know, or even something like um, Freddy Krueger, mm. you know, this idea that these parents destroyed this pedophile to protect their kids by burning him alive with his instruments of, of, of torture and, and, and work, and he comes back to haunt the kids, you know, mm. because they're all localized around this area. So yeah, there is definitely something to be said about that—that that ancient Indian burial ground, you know, myth that we've created for and 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 been captivated by for so long now. You well, know, I think it's less in vogue now than it was, but it's still yeah. there. Well, it's interesting because it's interesting to mention Freddy Krueger because we've you know we talk about the sort of the leap from Hollywood to to urban legend and back again. Um, that you know that when when uh, Wes Craven was was looking to do something and he was you know he ended up creating Freddy Krueger he'd read several stories of uh young people uh just dropping dead i think one of them like died at his desk and um you know it, it's actually they actually know what it is now there's a there's a a condition um it's just called sort of you know there's infant cot death syndrome it's a similar event like you know in young people just it's some sort of aneurysm or something happens and there's this sort of young person instant young person death and it was linked to that. 
but there was this idea that they were all dying in their sleep in, in you know they're all falling asleep in a, in strange circumstances and then dying off and hence the, you know that Wes Craven developed the idea but there was a, a spate of this I think some of it was in Japan some in America and he took that and there was an urban there was a, there was a, you know obviously some media attention on it and it grew into that so again it's that idea of an event being given a story to explain it and in this case it becomes a hollywood story and, and it, i i think the 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 true history has probably been forgotten you know overridden by the the hollywood um horror show but it's interesting again to see yeah. that there was something weird going on and it was given a supernatural explanation exactly and you know to, to go back to Candyman, you know it's you can't base a story of like Candyman in this like happy go lucky kind of sunshine street, you yeah. know? Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess you could, but I don't. It wouldn't have. It wouldn't be as evocative. It wouldn't touch on those important themes and ideas that need need to be talked about. That need to be expressed. Mm. And I guess that's the thing, you know, I guess that's kind of the takeaway from all this is there's obviously something in us as, as human beings, as walking, talking animals that just need to express these ambiguities that we, maybe sometimes we don't even want to explain by science. Sometimes we just want to be scared. And that's why we do things like creepy pasta and create Slenderman or, you know, the the tons of other like, you know, dark web myths that are coming out now about how you know even there's demons in cyberspace and they come out when you do X Y and Z and you know things like that. Well, um, is it? But is but is that is is that an old to flip that on its head to say? In the past, when we were living uh, in different sort of, you know, strict uh, class systems, so let's say, you know, uh, let's take Victorian Britain, for example, um, and you had legitimate fears, you know, all the time. Um, you know, if, yes. you, if you were living in the slums or, you know, in the workhouses or even slightly above that, you know, your big fears were feeding your family and having a job, and there was the disease, and and the the, the likelihood you probably were going to get raped and murdered or whatever. Like, you know, to make it to thirty two was probably an achievement. And and even in the sort of the upper class, you still had the fear of sort of, uh, you know, um, being sent to well, even every being sent off to war, or there were still legitimate fears, and um, obviously being such a religious. Uh, you know, superstition was was rife, and that's why you get the growth of spiritualism um, in, uh, in, interesting, yeah. in that period, in, in reaction to things like, the, you know, the Napoleonic War, the Crimean War, and it gets reborn again in the 20s, you know, following the First World War. You get all that out of true tragedy, but you get it out of a sense of being unable to explain things. We're into an, an era now where I have... Li- I'm sat here right now, and I'm talking to you across thousands of miles right. recording it to, to then distribute it to the rest of the world like the technology i have in my hands i could literally google <laughs> i could google i could search for anything on the internet right. using my phone i have i could understand or not understand maybe but i can search for the 
basics of you know quantum physics on my phone. Right. So th- that that fear of of you know the daily superstition is gone. And so are people trying to sort of, again, manufacture it by creating some of these modern urban myths because the need to provide a story to explain an event isn't there anymore. So they're now just trying to provide a story to generate fear and excitement and a bit of a bit of a trend. I agree completely. I, I think that's the perfect way of putting it. It just fascinates me, I'll say. Are we are we going to lose our true urban myths and of that because we don't need to explain things anymore? Because it's always, there's always there's always going to be an expert on Fox News or CNN that's going to tell you exactly why it happened. Yeah, it is well true. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's interesting. Is like you know now now the new dark areas of the world are on the internet, mm. and you know like. To go back to my point earlier, you know, that's where a lot of our myths are coming out of now. Mm. You know, like like I said, you know, like we're doing creepypasta mm. competitions, you know, who can make the scariest thing? And then it then it kind of almost self-actualizes and becomes this thing that people buy into to the point that there are real, like you said, there are real consequences of the of, of these myths and everything now. Where we're having murders based on Slenderman. I mean, while we can explain, you know, we can explain it through psychology and biology and neurology, there's still that consequence that this happened because somebody made this up on a website. Yeah. And that's just that's so bizarre. (laughs) And I find yeah, it is. It's it is. It's a fascinating sort of. It's a it's a it's an interesting sort of trail to lead because. You know, uh, during the sort of the eighties, during the early eighties, you get the the uh, the satanic panic, and this yep. sort of um, you know boiling over of fear of everything from heavy metal and rock music to certain types of movies and comics and books and everything. And you know, you get people like Mary Whitehouse Dungeons and Dragons, right? Exactly, and it's all you know. Everyone's looking for something to blame, and again, you get the urban legends of sort of like I forget that the, the, there was a film made about it with Tom Hanks about a lad who sort of plays Dungeons and Dragons and loses his mind and wanders into the sewers and and you know because he thinks he's really in that sort of thing and ends up dying and you, you know and there's always that. Well, my friend's cousin's auntie told you know told so and so that this has happened and you get I, that. I, I, yeah, because growing up in the 80s, I grew up in, in the South, mm. and, you know, we, were, we weren't supposed to play things like Dungeons and & Dragons, and, and, or, you know, read books like that, and I remember there was a park nearby that had a very expansive wooded area, and there were all these stories about these three kids that went out to play Dungeons & Dragons in the park, mm. and one of them ended up murdering two of them because he had become possessed by one of the things... They were acting out, mm. and it became real. And he ended up, you know, murdering and hanging them in a tree. And you know, it was it, it was only within that small area that the story was told. It was never, and you could never find proof that this ever happened. Obviously, it was yeah. something that, once again, you know, my mom told my aunt, that <laughs> my dad said that, you know, yeah. So, it, even on a small scale level, you know, these these. These myths perpetuate. It's true. I mean, that's it. They do. And you know, um, 
you know, there was a constant fear then of sort of the video nasties, you know, the, the films that got banned. Um, right. and, and then, you know, in the 90s, uh, it continued, in, you know, with, with, with sort of like rap music and this other thing. And there's always that fear of pop culture influencing yeah. um, somebody or generating something. And it never really materialised. It sort of it does every now and then. You know, you get those that sort of you know there was a um, uh, I think it was was it Columbine that was attributed to uh, like the Basketball Diaries and uh, right. the the murder of Jamie Bolger in Britain was attributed to uh, in, wrongly I should say but was attributed to Charles Play Three, um, and you get this urban myth or these myths of films are generating you know uh, killers and all this other stuff. And there's obviously there's more to it. There's so much more to it than that. Um, but then when you get, like you say, but actually when you get a, an internet meme, I mean, with, with films, it's like, it's celluloid, it's there. It's like, even as Candyman, like you can right. pick it up. Like I've got the disc here, like, you know, it's, it exists yeah. and it's sort of like, so, you know, you can't say, oh yeah, well, you know, I've heard there's a, you know, if you say Candyman five times, Tony Todd will appear in your bathroom. It's, you know, it's madness. Isn't it? <laughs> you know, if he did, I'd, I'd probably rush and get my collector's edition and be like, do you mind signing this? Exactly. Um, Actually, you're gonna kill me, but hold on. Yeah, yeah. My mate Dave won't believe this. Um, <laughs> but but let's say, but when something is generated off the internet, you know, I mean, with the Slenderman, you can track it back to a competition. It's a known thing that this this creepy pasta was right. was generated. But there are other things like you can go on YouTube and there are videos that sort of say, you know, like yeah, there's this weird video of someone locked in a basement. You know, and it looks like they were having to force to wear this mask, and then this happens. It's like, but no, I couldn't tell you where it's come from. I just know this exists. Uh, it becomes like this unknowable ether, where content is being generated, and clearly some of it's fake, and clearly some of it may not be. But it's when when you know where it's coming from. Freddy Krueger is never going to be an urban myth because he's a film star. You know, he's an icon, but. When you look at things like Slenderman, when you go, actually, the, the origins are a little bit murky, or the, and there, there will be others, it's a little bit murky, then it becomes that the, the lines between fiction and reality can be blurred because you can't establish the origins. You know what I mean? It's lost to the sort of uh, the unknown again. Absolutely. Yeah, there was the three. Oh, gosh. I can't remember the name of the video. It, it made its rounds on the internet for a while back in the early 2000s. And um, it, it was this kind of portly guy, nerdy looking guy. And he's in his basement. And he's like, I got a new friend today. Um, uh, he starts talking about this friend that he, he has. And then he kind of walks over this door behind him, opens it up. And this, this girl chained to uh, the wall. And she's like screaming. And then he shuts the door and the video ends. And there was, you know, it, it had a certain amount of authenticity to the way it looked. Mm. So it makes you worried that this is a real thing. Now, I think it I, I think it was debunked later that it was obviously just a prank. But for a little bit there, lots of people wondered, what the hell is this? is this guy really kidnapping people and keeping them in his basement? And is this a real thing? You know, is this another, you know, um, the, the clown killer guy, I can't remember his name now. Ted Bundy. Yeah. Yeah. Or Ted Bundy or, you know, uh, 
well, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, you know. Well, is, the interesting is, thing about it is, you know, if you were to link that to, and I'll tie, you could tie it into uh, conspiracy theories, just because that's been, that might be officially debunked, okay? Right. And someone will put that on the internet and say, well, no, 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 no this has been debunked. It's some, it's some guy, his name's this, and he did da da but someone will then look at that video and go, yeah, but you know that debunking video? That's rubbish, that is. That's been put out there, right. so people will stop looking at it. And you go, and then it, be- yeah. it becomes this sort of like cycle of myth and debunking to say like, no, no, it's true. Oh, it's not really true. Oh, no, it is true. It's not really true. And you can't, and because the internet has become this unknowable ether, whether it be the actual internet or the dark web or whatever you want, to know the truth is has become more and more difficult. And I think so. That's what these yeah. things will perpetuate. You're right. Yeah. The internet will be the birth of these things. Mm. Absolutely. You know. Um, oh, I lost my point. Um, but I think there's a bit to go, like, just to give a moment yeah. there to think about. I think that's what's going to happen. Is you know, are we going to get to a point of a new Bloody Mary or a new a new Slenderman and give it that's going to have more authenticity? I think it will. I, th- I honestly think there will be something like you know, black-eyed kids came out, out of nowhere, and you know they've been perpetuated by the, this internet stories that um, I've I've listened to podcasts and I've seen YouTube videos and stuff where they're like, there's all these reports of black-eyed kids here, here, and here, and but you know, if you were to say, well, wh- where's it been reported to? Who's it been reported by? Who's documenting these? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Exactly, and 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 when you know there are news sites that will talk about these things because they become prevalent in our society, mm. and that they will try to debunk them, but that does give some sort of, like I said, authenticity to it. It, it does make people go, well, I did see that on the news, so mm. maybe. Yeah. And that's it. I think that's it. It's, it's anything that has, and, and and this is a part of the fact that I don't think, you know, we are, or not everyone is fully equipped to be able to discern good information from bad information. That you have that element of, well, it might be true, right? And because it's interesting, I'm sort of going to side on that. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy into it wholesale because. I think it might be, and that that's a, uh, you know, it, in some ways it's a beautiful aspect of being human, and mm. in some ways it's the most terrifying aspect of being human, because yeah. it leads to horrific acts sometimes. Well, you know, we'll, we'll start to, we'll look to wrap up in a moment, but I mean, to build on that, yeah. that, that thing of the, the, the what if we've said, I mean, we've said it all throughout this, it's that thing of like, well, what if it's real, you know, right. like say... That moment you say your last Bloody Mary into the mirror or, um, you know, you, you do start making out with your boyfriend or girlfriend on a lonely street. You know, well, what if the hook-handed man's going to come? Exactly. Those sorts of things. So there's always been that what if. And I, I, everything's perpetuated by the unknown, fear, and that think of what if. And really, if you wanted to boil it down, I think that's... And, you know, please, I'm not intending to offend anyone in this comment, but... That sort of sums up why people follow religions. Yes. You know, it's I a mean, fear the, of the unknown. Doing, it's a, it's... doing the rosary or praying. Mm. I mean, we have no... There, there's no scientific proof that a, a God exists, and I don't want to insult anybody. 
but you know, but but the idea of faith isn't based in science. Mm. Is it's based in I believe and follow this to be true. Mm. And yeah, that's once again, you know, we're talking about you know believing something wholeheartedly, regardless of any kind of proof or disbelief that others might have in it. And it becomes that, and there's that perpetual cycle of. You know, you you could watch an a, a video of an atheist debunking um, a whole host of you know Christian mythology, but then the Christian mythology can be backed up by, but it's about faith. You know, yes, we can historic we can historically prove these five things, but I have faith that these eight things are actually true as well. So you know, and it's it, it it's interesting that this actually I suppose like you know urban myths, mythology, the whole thing. Um, and even sort of like what horror gives us is that fear. It plays on our fear. It's 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 just a human trait, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And I mean, that's why you have um, TV evangelists that go, "I'm going to send you, you know, you give me a thousand dollars in what's called seed money, mm. and in return, you're going to get whatever it is you're wishing for." Well, there's nothing about that in the Bible. There's not. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing in there. But it's this belief that these these speakers of God supposedly have come up with to pilfer people, you know. Yeah. And for some people, who knows? Maybe it helps them as a placebo. Maybe by giving that thousand dollars, they just they feel their life is turned around and they're doing better. But I mean, for most people, it, it's you know, obviously, you're probably going to some kind of crushing debt. Yeah, yeah. And that's not good. No, uh, but you, but, yeah, but you might get it all back on the on the other side. I'm not sure you need it, right. but you might get it back on the other side. And that could have just been dumb luck that that happened to be. You know, it, it goes back to that. You know, coincidence. You know, it, this thing did not happen because this thing followed in front of it. You know, mm. it it. it it can seem that way, but it's not. That's not always logically or, or, or even valid. Yeah, no, it's true, isn't it? Like I say, and it, it, like I say, some people want to look for that logical step, like the causality. Well, there's this, then there was this, then there was this. So right. that's the steps. And then you say there's others. There's other people that may want to go. Well, there was this, and there was this. And in my head, I'm putting these things in the middle to make these two things meet. It- Exactly. Um, uh, one of the things that just you, you mentioned the televangelist as well, and also you know we'll maybe quickly talk around this is one of the things I think can perpetuate these um, myths and make a myth sit or become an urban legend. But you know it can sit and it can sort of become uh, something solid. Is where it comes from. What like what level of authority does the source have? Um, right. You know, if you if it's if if you're a if you are a, a right wing believer, you, know, you say about conspiracy theories, and you see something on the Breitbart News website, then as far as you're concerned, that's a level of authority. It's giving you information that you you are likely to believe. Yeah. Um, and it, um, the same can be said for the far left. You know, there's a, there'll be there'll be sources there where they'll be like, oh no, that's got to be true because that website's telling me, or that person's telling me, or I've seen it on this and seen it on that, and obviously they'll conflict. 
But, you know, if, if you to see, again, you know, there's been this mass murder and it was done by, uh, you know, this guy was 6'5", wears a boiler suit and a white mask that looks vaguely like Captain Kirk. Right. You're going to go, my God, that's horrific. You know, that's that. the news told me that. I saw, so, you know, so-and-so on the news, 9 o'clock news told me that. And so I'm going to fully believe into that. Um and it, it, it's you know, but then if you heard it, just as you you know, your your friend Jeff told you it down the pub, could be exactly the same story, the exactly the same facts, but you know, but you know he's a bit he's a bit iffy. He he has a tendency to exaggerate. You probably won't believe it as as much, and it gets forgotten and moved on from. Because you know it 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 helps sensationalize our lives mm. in a way that normal facts and science just don't seem to for most you know most people it's, it's, that's what it seems like I could be totally wrong there but it definitely seems like there's something salacious and 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 sexy so to speak about these things that were like ooh yeah yeah oh that's interesting now I'm interested I think that's you it know. yeah and I think that's you know so what I mean um to sort of to pull it round to Candyman again, it's that thing, isn't it? Like this, yeah. that this is a the the figure and the myth of this, uh, and especially the sort of the Helen um, legend that comes out of the back of it. You know, she becomes her own urban legend if you say her, you know, uh, name five times, right. which I have to say is incredibly more less interesting. Saying Helen five times into the mirror, not as Absolutely. fun as saying Candyman, but um, the, this this idea that she becomes the urban legend. Is fascinating because it's it's you know it's um, it comes from a place of legitimacy because we know this happened. So this right. event happened at the end of the film. She she you know spo- spoilers for the film, but this event happens at the end of the film uh, where she eventually she she is killed, and you know she becomes an entity off the back of that because of the the community that surrounds it. Um, <laughs> And it's like so, you know, and it's got this air of legitimacy because it actually happened. It would have been on the news. You could name her and all this other stuff, and then the stories will grow from that. Um, and it becomes sensational. Like you say it becomes sensationalized and sexy because it's oh my god, yeah, that this is there was this, and then there was this, and I'm putting this right. in the middle of it. Mm. Hyperbole is way more interesting than just you know a plain old sentence. <laughs> exactly. Yes, that's it. <laughs> I have to say, Kevin, this has been a fantastic chat. I, mean, I you know, I'm, uh, in my head, so many things are sparking off about, uh, you know, to, uh, other topics to discuss and other things to sort of uh, oh, to, to cover off. So we will have to come round to this again, and uh, I will have you back Absolutely. on. Um, I would be my pleasure. But it's, it's been fantastic, and again, thank you very much for sort of coming on in such short notice. Uh, yeah, no problem. And uh, uh, but you know. Don't want to leave you sort of without a cheap pop. So, uh, you know, where can people find you on the internet? And anything else that you want to promote uh, to the listeners? Um, you know, I don't have anything to plug. Um, I'm kind of in a dry spell currently. But if anybody wants to email me and reach out and talk about anything, uh, my email is ksermon59 at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear anybody's, you know, regional urban legends or their thoughts or opinions on this by far. Agreed. Yeah. Now there's some fantastic ideas and thoughts on this one. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So that's been brilliant. I will.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. A fantastic conversation between Kevin and myself uh, about horror and its sort of integration with modern folklore. Um, and as we said at the end, there are some fantastic topics that this could springboard off into. So many things we want to talk about. Uh, and off air, actually, we, we discussed a whole load of them. So Kevin will be back uh, at some point in the future to talk more uh, about all kinds of things. Uh, and we're going to get deep and meaningful um about everything from Terry Gilliam, science fiction, horror, the works. So look forward to that. So anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, on the next show, we're kicking off something again, especially in November. November is going to be another retrospective month. Uh, we've done it before, um, and we're going to be in another one. So this one is going up to the uh, running up to um, the release of Creed Two at the end of November. Um, so we are going to be doing a full retrospective with a good friend of mine, Gareth Powell, um, on the Rocky franchise. So from Rocky to Rocky Five, and then Rocky Balboa and Creed and all the lot of them. So we're going to be doing the works. Uh, we're going to be stepping into the ring with Mr. Stallone and uh, going for a sort of 15 rounds. So I hope you join us. I hope you're interested. Uh, off the back of this, get in contact. Let me know what you think. Do you think horror influences... Uh, Modern folklore and vice versa. What are your thoughts on Black Eyed Kids, Slender Man, uh, the Candyman films, or any other films that you think really dig into that idea of folklore and uh, modern horror myth? Please get in contact. We're on Twitter, at 20th Century Geek. Uh, on Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, all under 20th Century Geek. Uh, and of course, you can email us directly. That's 20thCenturyGeek at gmail.com. All comments and contacts are welcome. Uh, and finally, of course, don't forget, we have Patreon. We are a Patreon uh, account, so any money that you want to send our way is massively uh, appreciated, and we do some really cool content for those. Um, and on the back of that, actually, one of the things we've started, we've actually doing some video reviews, because we now have a YouTube channel. So get yourself over there, check out the videos. You lucky, lucky sods, not only do you get to hear my voice, you get to see my face. Sorry. But that's what we're doing. We're trying to expand on this. So let us know. What do you want to talk about? We've got some great videos over there. We've done a top 10 of family Halloween horror films. And uh, we've just started to do a series of videos called uh, Is It Really That Bad? And we've started with the 1997 superhero film Spawn. So I hope to hear from you. I hope you get over there and try that out. Let us know what you think. Uh, but in the meantime, happy Halloween. Be safe when you're out trick-or-treating. And uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>